This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by David Moore. And we're going to talk about the Cowboys and what went wrong at the very end, especially, of that game against the Vikings. And then, uh, obviously, look forward to this weekend and uh, the Cowboys playing the Lions, who will probably be without Matthew Stafford. You can't tell with the Lions. They're kind of uh, jacking around. Probably. You know, the, the initial reports I saw last week, as soon as it came out he was going to miss that game, was they expect him to be out at least two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, as they said, with several broken bones in his lower back. That doesn't sound good, does it? No. And, uh, you know, Tony Romo went through that. And, yeah. and you can get out there. And he's been playing with them this year and part of last year, I think, as well. Um, the, the only reason I think he might play this week was because how he unexpectedly cropped up on the injury report after no alert. And then they said he was out and it could be a while. And now the league is looking into it. Right. But, but my belief, I, I would be surprised at this point if he plays against the Cowboys. Do you, because the, because the league is looking into it, do you think that would indicate that maybe, I mean, what do you, what? well, they look in anything like that because I mean, they're, they're going to say, well, you know, if this was an ongoing problem, he should have been on the injury report All like week. every week. Yeah. yeah. Not only this week, but in other right. weeks. And now yeah. you can't say you've gone from zero to 60 when he wasn't you know right and and said it wasn't you know from an earlier game i mean so it's is that they're just looking at the integrity of the process that's what i was going to ask you about are they looking at here trying to determine are the are they looking out for the welfare of the player or are they looking at something that's going to affect betting lines and and uh, that that sort of thing 50 50 yeah no I, i think it's again that's it has a lot to do with betting lines, uh, even though they won't say that. But yeah. they'll talk about the transparency of it and just informing the fan base mm-hmm. of, you know, whether or not, uh, uh, you know, the the status of health of a player. You know, it, it's a much different approach than you have in NHL, which mm-hmm. is which is yeah uh, notorious for a lower body you know, lower injury. body injury Something. and, and yeah. you know yeah. who knows if he'll play and then he's out for like six weeks right. Um, yeah. So they want a more transparent process than that. Um, but, and, of course, they only have 16 games versus the, the 82, so that's a big difference as well. But, um, but, but it's also for the player and to protect him publicly. I mean, it's, um, you know, they, you want at least enough medical information out there without uh, impacting or, or going over the line with HIPAA laws for fans to know if a player has a bad game, but he's been dealing with uh, a disc issue in his back, uh, it's not, you know, I think it 
it puts the performance into context and maybe lessens the outrage against a particular performance. So I think there there, there are a lot of reasons to do it. I, I, I would just say overall, the shorthand, the league wants to be as transparent as possible mm-hmm. without uh, divulging uh, specific medical information on, on players. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say that I think he will not play. Uh, I don't think he will. Yeah, and uh, and there's a big difference between him and Jeff Driscoll. There is, but, of course, if I'm the Lions, I'm going to say, okay, Green Bay played Dallas without Devontae Adams and won. Uh, right. New Orleans played them without Drew Brees and won. Um, Minnesota just played them without Adam Thielen and won. Well, let's go ahead and sit. Yeah, let's let's, let's, let's keep this trend going. So yeah. let's not play Matthew Stafford. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, this is a trying to get a, a grasp of this Cowboys team is frustrating uh, because you know because of their it's football, it's not basketball, it's not baseball, it's not hockey where you've got eighty two games or one hundred sixty two games, and so you don't make judgments based on one game. You you wait five, sure. ten, twenty games before you. Where you even start to do something like that. In football, we're halfway through a 16-game season. You should have a pretty good grasp on what this team is by now. And 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 what I can say about it is it's just a, a wildly inconsistent team. Oh, no question. On both sides of the ball. Yes. And uh, But the one area where they're consistent is they do not start games well and put themselves in no. an early hole, which compromises – uh, their offensive game plan the rest of the way uh, takes away from what should be one of their bigger strengths on defense, which is the ability uh, to rotate and put pressure on the quarterback with your defensive front. Um, so these bad starts are really compromising them on, on both sides of the ball and and I think probably feed into this inconsistency that we're seeing. But um, you know, this is uncharacteristic. I know, you know, you can point to a lot of things under the Jason Garrett regime that certainly fans will point to that they don't like, whether it's in-game management, uh, just overall approach, some other things. But this team is, teams under Jason Garrett have usually been pretty consistent and they've done a good job of um, not losing to teams that they shouldn't lose to Um you know, responding to a challenge to keep themselves in it. And, yeah. and look, we're talking about this, and, and right now they're still leading the division right. uh, at the moment. Um, but this year has been different. This team has been more up and down, certainly, than what its talent would indicate it should be. Yeah, because cause here's the thing. Of the five wins, one of them over what we consider a good team. Yeah. Uh, that's the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, the other four average to to really terrible teams. One terrible loss to the Jets, and then a loss to the Vikings, which was right there in front of them to win a home game. This was a game that we felt like, if you looked at their schedules, very similar schedules, and and their and the results therein. You know, mm-hmm. they beat the teams for the most part they should have beaten. Uh, the teams that they lost to, you know, were not awful losses. Uh, the 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 Vikings' worst loss was to the Bears, yeah. which is certainly not a bad loss in particular. It's a division game, yeah. Division games are different, yeah. But and of course, the Cowboys' worst loss to the Jets, which is awful. Uh, so this was these were two teams I felt like that were very similar on similar paths this year, and, and this and and I gave the Cowboys the edge because it's a home game, mm-hmm. uh, and so therefore should have won that. 
I, I, you know, I, I don't watch as many games outside, uh, you know, certainly the division, uh, and I, I watch them, but, you know, I don't watch them as closely. I got to tell you, Dalvin Cook is, is a spectacular player. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. And, uh, and, and the thing that impressed me in this game was that the Cowboys did, for the most part, a really good job of containing him uh, when he was carrying the ball, when he's rushing the ball. Uh, not so good no. at containing him once they got him out of space. And Dallas has been horrible against screen passes this year. Yes. And, and teams are going to do more of that because they that has been an Achilles heel for them defensively. Now, not many backs are as elusive and as good in the screen game as Dalvin Cooks, but uh, that's something I think that uh, is going to be a continuing issue for Dallas going forward. And you wouldn't think that would be. you got three linebackers who, as mobile as those three guys are, you would think in a screen game, oh, these guys would just eat that up, going side to side here. Not so. They did not. None of the, lineback- the linebackers did not grade out well as no. a group this no. past game. Um, and and I think some of what you're seeing is, but again, this is understandable. You know, Dallas is overall is a smaller defense that relies on pursuit and speed, mm-hmm. and teams will get the misdirection, get the defense going in one direction, then go the other to use their strengths right. against them. Um, but Dallas knows this as well, and they need to be more disciplined and, and do a better job in the screen game. And they just haven't. Uh, the the linebackers as a group have not played as well this year. Um, the corners, uh, I, I think specifically Chidobe Awuzia has not played well mm-hmm. this year to this point. And they're having some coverage issues that they didn't have last year that, that at this stage are, are pretty glaring. And, and uh, you know, to me, both sides of the ball for the Cowboys right now have been – just good enough to get beat, mm-hmm. you know, really on both right. sides. I mean, uh, uh, basically the inopportune mistakes um, from the offensive side and just the, the, the true lack of consistency defensively. You know, they – and again, these are hard to measure and you can dispute these, but um, by some measures the, the Cowboys only missed two tackles defensively in that win over the Giants on Monday night in the Meadowlands. They missed two tackles on Dalvin Cook's first run. Yeah, that's right. They did. They did in in the Minnesota game. I was counting those. And and I think, you know, I saw one It's like, and I think this is conservative, but I think that's all they missed 12 to 14 tackles in that game. I I would argue it. You could probably bump that up uh, a few more and, and not be out of the ballpark of what it was. Uh, was not a good tackling team. They weren't disciplined. Um, like I said, they by and large they did a good job against Cooks on the ground. But Minnesota did what Dallas wants to do. Even when you're not getting big yardage on the ground, they get enough where they're persistent with it, and they're setting up second and five. Uh, you know, second and six, second and five. They're chipping away and putting themselves in manageable positions on third down. And, and that's what Minnesota was able to do with that run game. And, and Dallas wasn't – Dallas, you know, Dallas after getting – forcing seven turnovers in the previous two games, forced none. Right. Dallas after getting five sacks uh, against the Giants, got one uh, against Minnesota and Kirk Cousins, and that came early in the game. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they just, again, this defense has really been up and down and, and, and speaks a lot to the inconsistency. But I certainly don't want to let the offense off the hook because they have not been good to start games. No. And um, they have, even when they get things going, they um, they they will throw out the, uh, you know, holding penalty or turnover here or, um, you know, illegal motion. Um, they've had a lot of those this year and a lot, they've had a lot of big plays called back on them because of mistakes. Right. I want to just say one thing about the, the giants game. Uh, I, I took a little heat, uh, from some, as, as you and I know, that game was a late game. Uh, it was going one direction and, and because of the way our business works, we're, we're having to make up our minds a little earlier than the, than the fourth quarter. Yes. And then the whole game blew open in the fourth quarter, and it was a different yeah. game. And so there was uh, someone wrote to me on Twitter that uh, you, you're being way too negative. They held Saquon Barkley to 24 yards rushing. This was a really good win. It's hard to win on the road, blah, 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 on and on. Which, you know, some of those were legitimate points. I want to point out that against the Jets, yeah, Saquon, Saquon Barkley. Barkley had 13 carries for one yard. One yard. One. One yard. Against the Jets. Against the Jets. Now, the Jets do have a very good run defense. Yeah. uh, But still, maybe the Giants are having some issues here is what I'm saying. And so that that game against the Giants is uh, the performance by the defense probably not as good uh, as the the numbers say. No. And and Dallas is only – and look, I don't want to minimize this. And and the reason I don't is – and I never would, just an example – Atlanta beat New Orleans this week, yes. this past weekend, in New Orleans. Didn't just beat them, pounded them. Pounded them. Now, that is what Dallas has not done. With everything else, all the other inconsistencies around them, they are 4-0 in the division. Mm-hmm. In fact, they've only won one game outside of the division so far this year, and that was Miami. Right. Uh, they've lost every other game in the conference they've played other than division. But that gives them uh, a big advantage uh, going into these final seven games. Now, I'm not saying it's not an advantage they could squander. They certainly could. You're going to have to win a few other games outside of the division yeah. in, in order to, to still have a chance to, to win the NFC East. But um, they're going to ha- – I mean, the there's no way Philly can get a tiebreaker on them now, basically. Right. Uh, just can't be done. I mean, they, they may split with Dallas, but um, – you know, they already have a, a – well, they, actually, I guess they do the Giants twice and then Washington one more time. So they might be able – if Dallas lost to Washington, which mm-hmm. is hard to conceive, no. uh, they would. But uh, if Dallas beats Washington, even if they lose to Philly, there's no way Philly has any sort of edge in the division. Right. It, it, best case scenario is just a wash. And uh, so Dallas has been outstanding against the division here. But, again, you know, there's reason for concern here because – I think a lot of the focus to this point has been, okay, you know, what have the Cowboys not done? They haven't lived up to expectations, but here's still what they should do. They still have a chance to win the division and all, and all that's valid. But let's look at who they are right now. From week four of this season to this point, they are no different in the standings than Miami, and the New York Jets, then Cleveland, which is considered a huge disappointment. This team has lost four of six. They are two and four since week four of the season. There are only five teams in the league with a worse record 
from week four on yeah. than Dallas. That's amazing. And one of them's, you know, winless Cincinnati's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this team, and again, the Giants are one. Washington is another. Mm-hmm. Two of them are in the division, which tells you a lot, you know, which which legitimately calls their record into question. Mm-hmm. Now, the rest of the way here, they're tied with Philadelphia right now in the standings. Dallas has the edge because of that earlier victory, and, and uh, they've won more division games, the two key tiebreakers there. But you look at it the rest of the way, I think Dallas, the teams Dallas faces in the final seven weeks of the season are 32, 30, and 1. So, uh, like what, around 51, a little over, you know, over 500. The, the seven opponents that Philadelphia faces the rest of the way they're at like 428 winning percentage. Yeah. Uh, much easier schedule for Philadelphia the rest of the way. I, you know, I guess the question I want to ask is, uh, so I still feel like looking at the Cowboys schedule, you know, uh, they should they should beat the Lions in Detroit. Uh, they're not going to beat uh, New England. They beat New England, then I'm giving them, I'm giving Jason Garrett a lifetime contract. Uh, if they beat the Patriots, really? Well, okay, not not really. <laughs> I was not really. Say I'm recording. <laughs> the bitch was, the bitch was recording. recording that, yeah. Uh, but if they if they beat the Patriots, then we can when we're talking about wild inconsistencies. Then we're, we're talking about well, then look at this team, which would be like going into New Orleans, which would be well, New Orleans came into Dallas, but it would be like when they beat New Orleans last year, right? Everyone was still, you know, they were three and five. They were worse off than they were at this stage of the right. season. Now, the difference is there are more teams ahead of them in the standings in the conference than there were last year. There are more good teams, right. but uh, they came from three and five to make it. But everyone was still skeptical until they beat New Orleans. Yes. Then it was like, okay. And to me, that's why Minnesota, Minnesota, the loss to Minnesota doesn't cripple their ability to win the division, but it's a signal that this team is isn't ready and probably won't go on a run. You know, I mean, these are the games that distinguish, you know, look, if Dallas is playing that game in Minnesota, yeah, you should expect the Vikings to win. That game was being played here. Dallas should have won the game. If if you're really, and I think they are pretty even. Uh, I think how the game played out showed they're pretty evenly distributed. I mean, Minnesota is built and has played the same way Dallas does. Right. You know, my, my goal coming out, you know, my thought coming out of that game was, this is exactly who Dallas wants to become. Right. If the Cowboys were playing the way they thought they would be playing right now, it would be Minnesota. No, oh, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think the issue for me is, is that because you, you look at that game and that loss, uh, yes, you're right. It doesn't hamper what they're trying to do in the NFC East or getting to the playoffs. They, the issue is not getting there. They got to the playoffs last year. You got to the second round of the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. That's not the issue. We have said all along – that for Jason Garrett to keep his job, he's got to get to the NFC Championship yeah, game. Got, got to get past the divisional round. That's been the ceiling. Absolutely. And when you want, when you lose to a team like the Vikings at home, uh, that's like a playoff game to me. Yeah. This was like a playoff game. You showed you're not equipped for that. Now, I will say this. Uh, you, you and I talked about this after the game. On that last drive, when they took over at their six, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and immediately – they're throwing on every down. Yes, until they got down to and the they should have, and they, and they should have, and uh, because the Vikings were having a hard time stopping any of that, uh, I thought that's as good as Dak Prescott has looked since he's been a Cowboy on that drive. 
Yeah. I thought the decisions were terrific. Really, the whole second half. You want to look at the fourth quarter? I mean, the position they were in. I thought the second half was was brilliant. He just and and that is kind of his nature is to rally to the occasion. Yeah. Uh, and and had he pulled that off, had he been given brilliant numbers? with a lot of third and longs because oh, because they were getting nothing in the run game, and so every time you looked up, they had third and eight or third and twelve. That's and that's he seemed, true. he was converting those. Uh, two things I want observations I want to make about that. First of all, I'll continue with the one we're just making. If he makes that rally, if he oh. if he's given the opportunity to throw the ball again and they score the touchdown and they win that game, I'm saying that this is a possibility at that point that that maybe the fan base or the or, or his biggest critics would say, well, maybe there is something to this guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is a little bit of Roger Staubach in this guy. You know, and I'm not saying that puts him on a level with Roger Staubach. No. I'm saying that sets him on a path toward that, and certainly the reception and the feelings that the fans might have sure. toward him if he's able to do that. And he's led a lot of drive, fourth quarter drive, comeback drives to win games in his career, but it, none would have been as dramatic and so much on his arm yes. as, that, as that series, as that possession was shaping up to be. A lot of it is he gets down there and he'll make a play, a lot of it was Elliott or a lot of run after, you know, yeah. yard run after catch. Right. Uh, he was making the throws in that one to get him down. There wasn't a lot of run after catch. There, you know, every time they were moving, and, and Elliott had the ball a couple times earlier in that drive, and you'll see like, you know, 12, 8, uh, 11, Elliott run two. Yeah. You know, then you go back and you pass right. a few more, and then you'll get a, throw another Elliott run in, and it'll be Elliott for two. Right. Um, until they got down on the second and two. And uh, that's that's where it all unraveled for him, where they ran two straight times uh, from the Minnesota 11-yard line with 133 left. And then threw it to him. So on, And then threw it to him on a sideline route. Yeah, um, which was not, not – at the very least, he's got a pump fake on that. I will say that was that was a little bit on Dak to me. The play call, I'm not sure what if he was the uh, the intended target on that play, if he was – Well, I think Dak he was, was like the, the second or third option. He went through. He looked at his other options real quick and moved down. Mm-hmm. I, I will say at least Elliott was down on the option list on that, which is a good thing because you don't want that. Your pri- you don't want an uh, Elliott you know, sideline route. No, no. Uh, where, where you have to throw – just perfectly and but again because it was an outside you know because it was on the sideline it gave the defender a chance to catch up and make the play which he did it was a good play by the defender right but uh the sideline helped him to get there in time in order to break it up absolutely so i I haven't gone back and looked at this and i probably should have by now uh but uh what also set apart that last or it's actually their next to last drive they did have one more chance yeah they after the mm -hmm. uh was that uh, um he was throwing on first down. Yeah. On, on, on every Because he was getting a first down every play. You could say, I, I guess there was at least three or four first down passes there that skewed the, the, the model entirely for the rest of the game, which was Zeke Elliott run on first down. I believe I, there might have been one time in the entire rest of the game they did not run on first down. Yeah, I think they had something, it was, it was something like 15 first down carries for a total of 35 yards. Yeah. Something it was right in that range. I mean, you know, Elliott finished with forty-seven yards, which is only the fourth time regular season in a reg. Elliott has been in forty-nine regular season games. Only four times has he been held under fifty yards rushing. One of them was that Minnesota game. That was the first time at home he's been held under fifty games rushing in his Cowboys career. Um, they and you know after the game, Jerry Jones said, "Look." 
It's like Minnesota hung up a sign at the start of the game. We're not going to let Zeke run the ball on us. Mm-hmm. And Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb and Michael Gallup showed that they could win this game through the air. Yes. And when they got into a tough situation at the end, second and two, um, they ran two straight times. Now, the first time, I don't particularly have a problem with it. because Me neither. neither. um, Because you're also cognizant of the clock at that point. And Minnesota had gotten some chunk yardage on you. You don't want to give it back to Minnesota with too much time where you're not going to get the ball back and let them drive. So I don't have a problem on second and two of running Elliott. I mean, he's still, as much as you're struggling in the game, you still believe one, maybe two yards, you know, you can get there. You pick up the first, and then you need to force them into a timeout, or you have a first down, you're going to be on the nine-yard line. So then you have, you know, four plays from there. So didn't have a problem with that. Now, he barely got back to the line at that. I thought I was going to lose yardage on that. Barely got back to the line. But now at that point, it's third and two. He hadn't run all game. Mm -hmm. His longest run was six yards. Mm -hmm. You just got stuffed on second and two. You had no chance of picking up the first down on second and two. Why in the world do you run again on third and two? It makes no sense whatsoever other than this misplaced view of what your identity is which is we impose our will we run that's who we are we if we can't stray too far from who we are and you know Jason Garrett's constantly talking about you want to attack defenses different ways and striving for balance and the overarching theory of that is sound you do want to attack different ways to start a game as the game unfolds if you're inefficient in one area you're not attacking in that area no the whole point of an attack is to gain an advantage they were not gaining any advantage on the ground so you're not attacking a defense by running on third and two no given how that game had unfolded and what happened there was you know Elliot loses three yards has no shot now I don't know that was his fault I think Connor Williams and, and Travis Frederick both uh, made a mistake and, and let the guy through. There was a miscommunication there between the two. Um, so Elliot had no shot. But that gets back to the question, you know, and they'll say, well, look, we, we did a run-pass option there. Why are you even giving Dak Prescott that option? Right. You know, look, Minnesota wanted you to run. They'd stop you all game. They were luring you into the run. If you start a play with a run-pass option – they're going to show a defense that's going to encourage you to run because they've stopped you all game. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. They encouraged Dallas to run, broke through the line, and then they gave them, you know, there was nowhere for them to go. So they played right into Minnesota's hands, and that's part of, uh, I think, Dallas's predictable DNA that getting the ball to Elliott's our default mode. In key situations, we have to get the ball to him. Well, there were three players offensively who are more effective than Ezekiel Elliott in that game, you should have reordered your priorities. It should have been Cooper, Cobb, Gallup, Witten, then Elliott. Mm-hmm. 
and and they didn't. They they put the ball in Elliott's hands first because I just think they're they're preconditioned to do so. And I think this is where they're still in transition offensively. They're not trusting their eyes. The eye test tells you you shouldn't go to Elliott there. Mm-hmm. The way the game has unfolded from what we've seen all game, not just how Elliott's running, how the offensive line is getting manhandled by Minnesota. Right. Why put him in that position? We need to we can win this game through the air. We can win it with Dak. And there's still this remnant of, well, no, this team is built around Elliott. That's our best chance. When push comes to shove, that's who we want to have the ball in his hands. And, um, you know, they've done it before. They, they did it, I, I thought, in the, uh, in the New Orleans game when it wasn't working for them. And uh, to me, that was the first example where they were like, well, those first three games, those are nice. We're better in the passing game, but we're still built around Elliott. And um, you, you saw it again, I think, at the end of that game. No, I th- when push comes to shove, this is who they're going to be. Sure. I think if you saw in the, in the reaction of the, of the uh, Minnesota players after the game, the, the defensive player who made the, the stop on the, on the third and two, uh, he said, yeah, we knew they were going to run the ball there. Yeah. We saw how they lined up. We knew what was going to happen. We knew what was coming. What a terrible thing to say. Yeah. That, you know, there was a time when you might have been able to say, I'd, I'd say three or four years ago, there was a time this offensive line could have just basically lined up and done whatever it wanted to do mm-hmm. at any point in the game. It's and not did. A, a lot, yeah. and, and did, but it's not at that point anymore. No. And then clearly in that game, it's not in that point. And then, but I would also say that uh, it, going back to my question about the, the number of times they ran the ball on first down, which I believe they ran the ball on first down almost every time until mm-hmm. that last second yeah. to last drive. Yeah. Uh, is that and and very quickly, they did not gain a first down rushing the entire game. Yeah, that's for only the third stat. time in franchise history. Only three times in franchise history has this team not picked up a first down on the ground, and the Minnesota game was one of them. Well, that's that's an unbelievable stat for for the history of a franchise. But I can I can remember going. This is back in the eighties. All right, uh, I'm talking to Lynn Amity, who at the time was the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that team uh, at the time. Kevin Murray, uh, Kyler's dad, was the quarterback. It was a terrific quarterback. Would have had a great NFL career had he not gotten hurt, uh, blew out his ankle. But anyway, uh, it had a reputation of being a because they threw the ball because of Kevin, and that was back in an era when teams weren't throwing that much. And Lynn Amity said, no, we're a running team. Uh, we, we base everything off the run. He says, our, our goal on first down is to be 50-50. We want people to, mm-hmm. to, to not know. Exactly. I, I, can't, I can't say if you're going to run. I yeah. can't say if you're going to pass. To me, you can still be a run-based offense uh, and still be 50-50 on first down. You have to introduce some level of question about what you're going to do on first down. When a defensive lineman says, yeah, we knew on this play they were going to run, before the, you know, he said, as soon as they set up, we knew this was a run. You know, you're making it very difficult. And I thought it was very disingenuous for Jason Garrett to say, uh, yeah, uh, the, we didn't get the blocks down there. We didn't execute. That's, I hate it when coaches say it's a matter of execution. Guys didn't execute. Maybe you're not putting these guys in the best position. What's harder to do? To get out there at the end of a game, you've been playing the entire game, and block these guys on this play, on this pivotal play, or be standing over there on the sideline and make a call. Well, and you'd seen over the course of the game, your offensive line was losing the line of scrimmage. Yes. All game, across the line, these guys were getting beat. Now, look, coming out of the game, Connor Williams getting a scope on his knee on Tuesday. He's going to miss some time. Right. Um, Zach Martin had an elbow issue 
uh, during the game that compromised him. Lyle Collins probably is not going to practice tomorrow and maybe not Thursday because of the back a back issue that, that hindered him earlier in the season. Three offensive linemen are coming out of this game beat up. Now, they were beat up during that game, and they were still right. on the field. Right. But you knew that. You, you got nothing. Look, their longest run came on a Tavon Austin end around for seven yards. That was their best run. I think at that point in the in the second half, before before handing it to Elliott on those two consecutive plays, I believe they had I want to say five carries for eight yards in the second half. Mm-hmm. And now, look, most games, yes, second and two. You hand it to Elliott twice, you're going to pick up the first down and keep moving the chains. But nothing, nothing that transpired in that game told you that that was a good philosophy. And I'll take this back to a few years ago, and this this is when you were kind of flipping the model. Um, remember when Dallas wasn't running enough, and this was in the early days of, of Scott Linehan. And part of the reason Scott Linehan came in as an offensive coordinator to bring a little bit more balance to the offense, it was too... Tony Romo centric. Sure, uh, they ran, and and it was early in the season. I believe it was the, I believe it was the opener, if not the second game, but I believe it was the opener against San Francisco. They get in the red zone, and I think they had a first and goal from the five. They never ran the ball. Uh, San, they have to settle for a field goal, and they wind up losing that game. And it was the same thing. They were giving Romo the option to run, you know, handoff or pass based on what he saw the defense was. And the question was, well, you know he's going to opt to the pass because he has more confidence doing that. Yeah. So isn't it on you because you gave him the option? Right. If you know he's inclined to do that, and most most great players are going to bet on themselves, that's why they're, that's you why know. They're great players. Yeah, that's why they're great players. You know, that's where coaching comes in, and you know that, so you give them more structure and step back and be more analytical with it. And then they came out, I think, the next week, there was Tennessee, and they ran it like an absurd amount of time, and that was the year DeMarco Murray set like the franchise rushing record, right. which says something with the franchise with Tony Dorsett and Emmett Smith. Yes, it did. And Ezekiel Elliott, he still holds the record from that season. But that set the tone, and what did they do? The coaching staff said, this is what we're going to do. First and goal on the five, you saw the rest of the year. They ran. Mm-hmm. They ran. They ran. Now, if they had to pass, they would pass, but they were going to run. Well, now now they can do both. Now, it, you know, look, Dak's first year here, they ran and ran and ran mm-hmm. some more, and it yep. was the right thing to do. With the rookie quarterback. Second year, even though he was suspended for six games, that was the right thing to do. Most of last year, especially early last year before they got Amari Cooper, makes sense. But now, look, since since Amari Cooper's gotten here, I would argue he has been the most important skill player to what this team can be, even more so than Ezekiel Elliott in some ways. Well, let's talk about that for just a minute before we get out of here, uh, because that is an issue. Uh, and we saw it in this game, especially when you see Dalvin Cook across the line of scrimmage or across the field from uh, Ezekiel Elliott. In this game, 
now Dalvin Cook is a different running kind of running back from Zeke. He's he's yeah. he's Zeke was never this fast, never this quick. No. Uh Zeke is a power runner. And you know? and Dalvin Cook, one reason he wasn't drafted higher and he's I mean, injury. And yes. he, he missed a season with injury and was compromised. He won the same last year as was working his way back from an injury the yeah. year before. So two different kinds of guys. Uh, in this game, uh, the Cowboys, as we said earlier, did a pretty good job of bottling up Dalvin Cook when he was running the ball. No. Uh, couldn't couldn't find him, though, uh, when he's in open space. No. Um, in this game, the Cowboys, basically, the only way they use Zeke is we're just going to hand the ball to here here to you and, and let yeah. you let you see what you can do with it they've never really taken advantage of him as a as a except as a, passing to him on fourth down except, on the, the except for that <laughs> except, except when it came to the very end of yes. the game something we haven't done but but as you said no screen passes in that game uh no no throwing the ball to him in other in other situations now they, they have on occasions before but now they have other people and other options i get i get all of that and this game was clearly randall cobb's best game yes uh, randall cobb had been a disappointment for the large part for most of this season uh, in this game, he was spectacular. Yes. Uh, he caught every ball he could get to. I will say, in his fairness, he's had two touchdowns taken away from him because of penalties oh, on the other side of the field this year. Po- an excellent point. And, I mean, he has he's had what would have been some big days taken away from him. And these were big gains, too, that yeah. he's had before. That, so That's a good point. But, but, but overall, yeah, his, his statistical – level of performance has been a little below what you thought it would be he's caught every he caught everything thrown to him the other day including that yes. that, that catch in the end zone which, which is, i don't know how he made i don't know how he saw the ball to catch it especially well, where it was we made a big deal about uh, the amari cooper catch at the three toe tappers i i would tell you that that catch that that randall cobb made in the end zone was better than all of those it, arguably it was yeah. that's, not only was he how he saw it but it's a fingertip lunging yes. catch uh an unbelievable to, to get away that from ball, the body had to twist the body Body, go down and it's down below where you would normally catch it and, and yeah. then to be able to hold on to it yeah. fall all of it it's a tremendous play on his part so you have all those other options that you could have gone to um but i'm wondering here when i watch zeke elliott run now um i don't see the same explosion that i saw early in his career uh i don't know uh what the situation is i don't know if he's just you know he's very patient runner i i certainly give him yeah. that uh, and that's for the most part, that's a good thing. Um, but I just don't see the explosion. I don't, I don't see the big, I don't see the big plays. Uh, you know, certainly they got, they went a long way with a running back in the, in the early to mid nineties, who was not exactly yeah. an explosive runner either in Emmett Smith, who's the NFL's all time leading rusher. Yeah. It's not to say that you can't win with that, with that, but, uh, that even back then, you had Michael Irvin, you had Jay Novacek, mm-hmm. you had other pieces to that team that were very important to whether Alvin Harper, you had other guys that you could go to and make sure that the offense worked well. Even though that was a, also a run-based offense, still you took advantage of these other pieces as well. Um, this team, I feel like, wants to be too reliant on Zeke Elliott. I don't think mm-hmm. that he is – and certainly not the way they are using him. Uh, I don't think he's that kind of player. I don't. I don't think he's the kind of player who can carry you to an NFC Championship game. You're going to have to get other places uh, pr- production from other places. As you said, what our, Amari Cooper has been able to do for this team, his addition there uh, when they have been for the most part a completely different team, a completely different mm-hmm. offense. It was. We saw what it was like before. Yeah. Before he got here. That, that was a terrible offense. Yes. Uh, and, and certainly the way they were running it. Um, 
I, I think what they're doing now, I think they're, they are evolving into something. Jason Garrett kept talking about it in the press conference yesterday and certainly after the game about, oh, well, you know, Dak threw for over 400 yards. What are threw y'all, 46 times. What are, we what don't are, like to throw 46 times. Yeah, what are y'all complaining about? We should have thrown 48, yeah. at least 47. We're, we're talking about it at the very end of the game here, yeah. Coach. We're talking about in the a position where everything counts right now. Which, again, I don't want to hear about balance, you know, your theories don't matter in the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. Theories matter to start the game and when you look back on it, if you but you know, and everybody has a template and and who they are. But theories don't mean anything in the fourth quarter of a game. No. And it's not about balance in the fourth quarter of the game. It's it's go with what gives What's you the worked? best chance to be successful. Right. And so so what, we threw forty six times, so we're not afraid to do it. Well, but in a key situation, you chose to run twice. You know, you could make a strong argument. You should have thrown 48 times. Right. Now, you can say, what's the difference in 46 and 48? Well, it turned out to be pretty big. Yeah. Now, there's no assurance you would have converted those. But, but again, I don't know the way that game unfolded. Look, if, if they had been unsuccessful and still not made it into the end zone and they had thrown both of those – would people right now be saying, well, they should have gotten the ball to Elliott in that situation? No. Not based on the game that no. anyone saw. No. But now, now, having said that, but before the game, if you would have said, well, Elliott doesn't touch the ball on, on the, the final two, five, the yeah, two, yeah. you would have said, well, no, you've got to do that. So my whole point is you adhere to your theories going in, but you have to adapt and evolve to the game that's in front of you. It's just like, you know, I love ice cream. I'm not going to go outside and eat it today in Dallas. You know, right. that doesn't mean I don't love ice cream. Right. That doesn't mean most of the time I would do that. I'm not going to do it when the wind chills 22 degrees out there. Right. So it's to me, it's it, it's disingenuous to say, well, you know, this we've got to stick with who we are in the fourth quarter. Uh, who you are gets you to the fourth quarter. Then whatever is working that day, whatever is going best, that's what you do to try to win the game. And and in my mind, Dallas didn't do that late in the game. I, I think all this part of it is, to me, it goes back to the old complaint about uh, Jason, you're at the time management thing we used to complain yeah. about all the time. He's not so bad with time management anymore. I don't notice that as an issue as much anymore, but it's still game management. Mm-hmm. It is still what's going on in the game right now. Do you not grasp what is happening right now and and i just still had that feeling like just what we talked about no no no. this is what we planned all week we said all week long this is what we were going to do this is who we are so yeah. this is what we're going to be and it and it is frustrating and, and i know you've watched a thousand games i've watched a thousand games covered a thousand games i know it's frustrating to fans they, they watch this and say oh, yeah. why in the world if you, if you don't know anything about football which we're just a little bit past that yeah we're, <laughs> uh if you don't know anything about football very little past that but yeah yeah you you watch this and you go why why didn't you throw the ball here that's well, the first thing that my son texted me at ten thirty sure. last night he's watching the game he never complains about anything he says oh that's unbelievable play call it at the yes. end of the game yeah and, and again um Let's go to something else, which I would argue is every bit as egregious. And it was discussed, but not to this level. Why in the world are you attempting a 57-yard field goal on your opening possession at home when all season you've gotten off to slow starts? I mean, if you go up 3-0 there, okay, 
I mean, I guess that's okay. But that's not really, are you so desperate to address your slow start issues? You try a field goal that is not a good one to try to start. I mean, there's more, you're always weighing everything risk reward. Well, there was more of a risk to that than there was. Oh, absolutely. To not trying it and punting. The short field. And what happened? They turned around and scored and went up. Right. Right away. What happened in the Giants game? Another slow start. Dallas tries a 54-yard field goal early in the first quarter. Misses. Giants turn around on a short field, score on that, and go up. You've been putting yourself behind the eight ball offensively. Why, why are you coaching to do the same thing? The, it, you know, if you're going for a touchdown and it's inside in the red zone or something to jumpstart it, I get it. But really, a 57-yard field goal is going to jumpstart you? And, right. And, and the numbers are not as good as you say they are with Brett Maher either. That's another thing. You're, you're being disingenuous and, and um, just saying how good he is from 50-plus. From to me, that, is, that was inexcusable to, to do that early in the game. And here's the other thing. If you were so committed to that, and that was such a good decision, two possessions later, you ended at the same point. Why did you punt? Yeah. Instead of going for that fifty-seven yard field goal again. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking when he got the and you're right. When he got to that point. So now you're now you're not kicking the field goal. So now you're saying that was wrong. So yeah. so he is reacting to that decision. Yes. You know, there. He is saying that, okay, the first time we decided, okay, we're not gonna so we don't get it the first time, so we're not doing the second time. So then at the end of the game, when you have a decision to make and something didn't work, why did you go back to it exactly. again? Exactly. You know, you made an adjustment back here where you said, you know what, that was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. We're not gonna, yes. we're not gonna kick it again. We're gonna punt. But here we got to the end of the game and we're not making that decision. Yeah. You know, I just uh these these are so the you talked you, you talked earlier about them being inconsistent. I think he's been inconsistent with his decision in game decisions this year as well. Now let's go back another example is so you're going to fifty seven yarder here. You're going to that fifty four yarder earlier against the Giants. What happened on the Jets on that same field the you know, the game before they play the Giants? They get down there, they're on the twenty whatever, it's third and one. They run. Lose a yard. They decide to go for it on fourth and two instead of take the short field goal. Right. Which would put them down only seven six kicking off. Right. After being stopped, after losing a yard on third and one. They decide let's run again. That's a good idea. Yeah, much like they did late, you know, in second and two, and second and you know, third and two against Minnesota. Get stuffed, turn it over on downs. What happens? The very next play, Sam Darnold finds Robbie Anderson for a ninety-two-yard touchdown. Yeah, yeah. So it goes from being down seven-six and kicking off to now suddenly you're down fourteen to three. Yeah, and, and the difference in the game. Yeah, yeah, and, and so. He's just been so inconsistent in in how he's applied things this year, and, and that goes into their inconsistency. And you would think a Princeton guy wouldn't uh, make those kind of. Well, we talked right? about before. He's a, it's interesting. He's a very methodical thinker, mm-hmm. um, and that's not a that's not an indictment. But I'm just saying, in games, he's going in with a plan, and he grudgingly moves off of what his initial plan is you 
And people who think like that are usually behind the curve as far as reacting. Mm -hmm. Now, the good part of it is it grounds you and you're not reactive and you don't get off of something too quickly that if you just stayed with it, it's going to work. He's going to go beyond giving it a chance to work before he decides it's not going to work. Um, and know, I think that drives fans crazy. Sure, it does. I, I, I think it, the, what a fan wants fans, to fans see. Would, fans would go with impulsive coach more than a, a, a methodical Peterson. coach. Yeah. A Doug Peterson, you know, he goes to And the then Super when it doesn't work, it's like, well, I kind of liked it, though. He went for it. He went for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Fans now, do, now to, to a point, that. if you keep losing with it, it's going to be this guy, you know, has well, no you, discipline. You get your butt fired doing Sure. That no much. question. But it is, you know, at some point, Jason Garrett's going to have to realize, I, man, I think and you think. Uh, that this is a talented roster, a talented young roster, built for the future, a lot of, but also built for now. This is a team that should, for now, yeah. should be winning right now. Got enough, got enough talent to do that. The the head coach though is going to have to make some decisions that's going to show that uh, that I'm with you on this one, and I'm not just going to be, I'm not going to just try to to be what we've always been. I'm going to react to situations. Yeah. And I'm going to have to raise my game up a level. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what Jason Garrett's going to have to do these last seven games to get into the playoffs. Getting into the playoffs is not going to be enough, uh, and I'm convinced of that. I, I think it was a, a very – and we need to get out of here – but I think it was a really good point when Jerry Jones said, I'm not going to comment on that, you know, the play column, because it didn't work. Well, you just did. You know, you, you just did comment on it. It didn't work. And then what did he do the rest of that session right after the game on Sunday night? He raved about Mike Zimmer – probably six or seven times talking about what a great coaching job Mike Zimmer did. What did Jerry do after the loss in New Orleans earlier this year, that 12 to 10 loss? Sean Payton. Raved about Sean Payton and the coaching job he did. And, what, and, and that is what you've seen Jerry do. He won't come out and he won't criticize Jason Garrett, but it's very clear in his effusive praise of the opposing coach after a loss, a Dallas loss, that that is how he criticizes Garrett by showering praise on the other coach and coaching staff by name, and, and now and now Jerry has done that twice. Yes, in the it, first nine games of this season, that, that is a, not good for Jason Garrett. That when I saw those quotes, that was the first thing I thought was he is he has mentioned Mike Zimmer clear message by name. When he, a clear when he message. says his name, when he he didn't say the Vikings, the Vikings out no. coaching. He says Mike Zimmer yes. and the Vikings. Now, obviously, it's somebody he knows. And Sean Payton is somebody he knows, but these sure. are guys that I'm sure that Jerry's thinking right now. If you, if if Jerry was going to rank his his coaches right now, if he could have any coach he wanted, he'd take Sean Payton number one, and I think he'd probably take Mike Zimmer number two. Yeah, uh, of the guys that he knows, because he knows those guys. Sure, and we know that how important that is to Jerry. Now Payton's off the market with that like five yes, year deal he just signed, and actually. Um, the Vikings picked up the final year of the extension on Zimmer's contract in February. So Mike Zimmer's tied to uh, the Vikings through 2020, just in case any listeners were wondering about that out there. <laughs> That's a very nice uh, pick up there. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, I think that fans still believe that Jerry loves Jason Garrett. I don't. I don't well, think, he does. I, I think there's a there's a. I don't know if there's so much a love. There's a love of the idea that this is my guy. I hired the right guy. I hired sure. my Tom Landry. Yes. and I got him. But Jerry is also seventy six years old. Seventy seven. Seventy seven. Now 77, I, think. Yeah. I think that's right. This 70, year, yeah, he's seventy seven years this old. October, yeah. And I think he realizes this is a really good team. We put a. We've given him a really good roster, and we're screwing around with it this this season. I think. 
this season more than last season. I, I know that the, re the record was worse before they got Amari Cooper, but you could look at that roster and say, this is Jerry's fault. You know, you went into this this season. And they addressed it by giving up a first round pick to get Amari Cooper. And they did. And so and, and they acknowledged that was a that was a collective management decision that we can move on from Des Bryant with a collective uh, you know, by committee approach. Mm -hmm. It was very clear they weren't able to do that, that Gallup wasn't ready to step up. And again, why would he be a, th a third-round pick no. as a rookie? How often do you see that anywhere in the league, uh, especially without proven guys around him? Um, Hearns was not the player they thought. I mean, they thought Hearns was going to be comparable to what Des Bryant was, even in decline. It turned out he was not. You didn't have that rapport there. So, yeah, they but, – but they addressed that, and – to show you why they're thinking differently, they went out and made Demarcus Lawrence the first $100 million player mm -hmm. in franchise history. They sat there and, and complained and pointed out how they actually controlled Ezekiel Elliott for two more years on his contract. Uh, he needed to be there. But look, they didn't want to jeopardize the season. They could have played hardball, especially with that early schedule, and say, well, you know what? We can probably beat these teams without Elliott. Pollard has looked good enough. We're going to, you know, with Cooper here, let's roll the dice and, and play hardball on, on Elliott and not let him do What did they do? They went, no, this season's too important to us. We're not going to play hardball with Elliott. We're not going to compromise games early in the season because mm -hmm. this can be a special season. Let's bite the bullet, pay him more than we want, get him in here. Mm-hmm. Everything they have done was with going all in on this season. Yeah, I, I think they are too. I think they feel well, like they have enough talent to do that. I think the way the the league is shaping up, I think they they have enough talent to make a long run in the playoffs, uh, or they should. I don't think, but we have not seen anything. At this point, I don't know. I to, mean, to indicate that they can do that, they'll, they'll get to the playoffs. I don't. I don't have much doubt about that. How, how, how I have a little bit of doubt. Well, <laughs> you know? it could be, but uh, but how deep a run. You know, yeah. it's not going to make any difference if he gets to the playoffs. I really do believe that if he doesn't get to the NFC Championship game, that Jerry's going to cut him loose. Well, right now, the best case scenario, again, it's hard to envision any scenario where they're going to have a home game in the second round. No. You got to get up on the top two seeds. That's, that's not going to happen. At this point, it doesn't even look good when they have a home game. Uh, no. Losing no. to the Vikings. Yeah, what, yeah what's, the, <laughs> what's, what's the upside on that right now? Uh, but, okay, let's – Let's play this out and say they host a game. Say they make the play, win the division, host a game, win that first game. Okay, they're either going to play in Seattle, San Francisco, or New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Which one of those? In the second good? round, in the divisional round. Yeah. I don't like any of those. How? Yeah, how do you or, – or, you know, let's throw Minnesota in there too. Yeah. Why would they're going to play in one of those four cities in the second round. And then play in one of those other cities in the NFC Championship game, assuming they're going to do that. But mm. just look at what they're going to – they're going to be on the road in the second round in against New Orleans, against Minnesota, you know, against San Francisco or Seattle. Yeah. I, they just – they haven't shown that, they, that they're capable of doing that yet. And here's just what – let's say um, – again, I, I think, you know, last year they wound up hosting Seattle. There's a good chance – if they win the division, they're either going to host Seattle or San Francisco again. Mm -hmm. Can they beat Seattle two years in a row at home in a playoff game? I don't uh, know. I don't know either. They haven't, they haven't done it this so far. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. That's going to do it for our Cowboys podcast. We also had a Rangers podcast. Be sure to check in on that as well. And then uh, we'll be back here next week to determine if uh, you know the Cowboys have uh, proved anything. I don't think they can prove a whole lot against the Lions if they win. Well, if they lose, I, well, they, I, they, they I think the tone. I think we'll prove going into New England with a five and five record. Yeah, well, I that, think we can. Uh, yeah, that, we could write that off. Then. Yes. Okay. All right. So for everybody in here, to everybody out there, thank you, Benjamin. We'll see you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.